Hey guys, in this week's podcast, we're going to talk with Michelle Koreshi, which is a fingerstyle guitar player from Indianapolis, Indiana. And we're going to have a good discussion about her music, her journey through music, and just all the fun things that she does. So, hey Michelle, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Nathan, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm fine. Just put the kids to bed and, you know... All is right with the world as of right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at this moment, it's a snapshot for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about, uh, so you're from from Indianapolis, right? Yeah, we've been living here um, almost almost 20 years now. Oh, cool. And where were you at? Where were you at before? Well, I was a um, lot of places, <laughs> but I'm originally from um, Northwest Indiana, kind of just outside of Chicago. That's that's where okay. I was born and raised. Yeah, so spent a lot more time all around as you know, kind of a musician and nomad. But once uh, once I got married and and we had our our daughter, we just we've been here, and it's kind of uh, strange for me to be in one place like this. <laughs> right. So this is interesting because I didn't know this about you, but. Speak about your uh, your nomad life, if you will. What, what, like, what, what kind of stuff were you doing with your music and traveling around? Well, I think it was because initially when I started uh, studying um, at college, uh, it wasn't for music. So that took a little bit of time to be um, uh, figure out that actually I want to change uh, my major and go to music school. And my first thought was um, I wasn't trained classically. So I was like, well, how am I going to learn this? So uh, back, it was quite a while ago. And uh, I found a school that was uh, good at teaching guitar for like non, it was all kinds of musicians, jazz and popular and uh um, in all kinds of instruments, um, and it was Berkeley up in, in Boston. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a, yeah, I know it's a very slick school now, but then it was, it was not quite that. <laughs> and it was a pretty, uh, kind of a strange experience. Um, interesting in terms of the musicians I met, but as far as like trying to get a foundation and a, and a music career started studying there was, was not going to happen. So, um, then I thought about studying uh, like the music schools in Europe were, uh, and many other schools there um, were basically free. So I thought, well, maybe I'm going to learn uh, in a summer school, learn German and go study in Vienna, you know, the music school in, or the institute there for uh, music. And um, my, my German didn't get that far. Right. <laughs> and while, oh, yeah. I was, while I was there, um, I got notification of, of a scholarship for a, for a music school here. Um, and so that's where I shifted. I, you know, I came back here and then started this whole foundation of um, um, cla- um, classical guitar studies and, you know, formal education. And, and uh, so that's how that was. Yeah, that's cool. So that started, you know, that that was the initial uh, nomad part of it, just like switching schools up. And yeah, uh, right, right before finishing that school up in uh, Milwaukee, the school itself closed. Oh wow! <laughs> and to get my degrees, I followed my music, uh, my guitar teacher there, who uh, John Holmquist was the chair there, and then he was taken in at the Cleveland Institute of Music as the. Um, guitar chair there and I stayed and and then um 
got my bachelor's at next year and stayed for the master's degree. And then I was uh, set to study and get a, a PhD at uh, university in the South. Um, and I, I know here in the South, but I wasn't familiar with the South. And uh, um, I went down after I agreed on, on uh, this, this line of study and to be, you know, uh, internship and whatnot there as um went down to meet the the um, school, the dean there, the the head of the music department there. And uh, as I was driving out of town, <laughs> I went to what was then there, a phone booth, and I just called them and I said, you know, I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm just not coming. Oh, wow. And that was such a, that was such a, it was an intuitive decision and it made sense for the, you know, what lied ahead in my life, which was some un- unforeseen and, and kind of tougher things. But, yeah, I just wasn't meant to keep keep going to school, you know. Yeah. Well, University so, of the yeah. South, is that Swanee? No, no. Okay. I, I was going to leave the name of the school out. I mean, it's a really a highly respected uh, institution, but it was just like there were just situ- things that were... Uh, ahead in my path that didn't gotcha. didn't involve doing that and you know in retrospect i just couldn't have done that quite uh, the way it should have been done so no, so that okay. meant instead of having some kind of you know academically secure classical guitar kind of study i would just kind of go in my own way and and uh different different places on the east coast teaching different places and uh trying to do the the gigging the concerts stuff like that but but yeah. and in fact i actually took a you know kind of a decades long break from it all until i you know until after i got married had my daughter when she started in school that's where i really you know started releasing albums writing music and having a home studio so no, that's cool yeah. well yeah. it seems yeah. like uh, and this is a phrase I've, I've came up with over the years, but it goes, confidence is gained through experience. And you don't have to have that experience in a four-year degree necessarily. Right. right? You can get yeah, that experience right. in all kinds of forms and facets um, and wherever that path takes you, you know. So that's that's fine. Yeah, right. And it's, you know, it's all the richer for that uh and yeah, like you say, you don't you don't really know what's uh, what you gain just from experience and and things that can't be taught to you. And and like I think part of that stuff is what kind of brought me this to be the kind of a unique guitar player I am. You mm-hmm. know, all those classical studies, but no real like uh, launch of a classical guitarist career because I had to go a different way. <laughs> but right. now uh, coming into this. Uh, in the um, in the last uh, I don't know bunch of years, using all those skills on a uh, as a classical guitarist, but bringing them to a, this fingerstyle thing, which is you know uh, always evolving. I know there's like a lot of percussive kind of a t- uh, playing on the guitar. There's a lot oh, of yeah. still very beautiful melodic stuff, and and what I do is just you know. A variety of stuff, but with the guitar and what I've been focused on lately is just really, really as a solo instrument. I mean, like trying to sculpt from just this one guitar so many uh, layers of sound and almost an ambient guitar kind of thing on a solo instrument. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. For what I've 
uh, checked out on Spotify and other places where your music is available. I mean, it's definitely, I would call it like atmospheric, you know, ambient, atmospheric. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But it's still definitely guitar centric, but it has other elements in there. Um, so kind of talk about how do you choose uh, the type of production for your albums? Right. Well, I think, I think once, you know, once I set up like a, my, a home studio that was, you know, fairly modest uh, and because you can set up very, I think I had like, you know, a Mac mini and then a little M audio keyboard and just the potential for, you know, doing layered uh, uh, sounds and textures with recording. And then on top of that, improvising guitar parts, it was just kind of like a, what was coming out was really kind of meditative and relaxing music. And I was also just kind of starting to get into yoga and my friends were like, Oh, this would be beautiful in the studio. And so I used to bring my music and, and, uh, play it live, even ongoing. Well, except for this, uh, period of time, COVID time, <laughs> yeah. there's no gigs, but, um, so that kind of, you know, those qualities of relaxation and, and, uh, very, um, ethereal, uh, moods that, that the music can create. I think I was just getting feedback from people like how, how helpful it was listening wise and how calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew I was feeling calm and peaceful making the music. <laughs> so it just kind of, you know, each, each one kind of like each album, like starting with that very first one, which is very, very synthesizer oriented and not much guitar at all. And some samples and different things like that. Um, you know, the, the, that was of light with it, which I released in uh, 2012. And it's, it, it's just been this process of like exploring this kind of sound and that kind of sound. And for every album out there, there's, you know, there's a dozen more on my, uh, hard drive, just kind of looking at more possibilities, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, it's just, it's just so cool to work with sound the way, the way that we can. And there's also that aspect of when I'm, when I'm playing or improvising, it's just like, it's just something just coming through me. It's not that, uh, that labor of, you know, hunched over a score and, and writing out the notes and it's torturous and right. that rarely happens. You know, it's just, it's just, you get in a flow, you get in a mindset and you just try not to, uh, get in the way of, of that production, as you say. Um, yeah. And I've learned, yeah, I've learned tons, you know, I mean, it, the, the technology has changed a lot. Um, I don't know how much the aesthetic has, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never, uh, you never went the route of like, uh, like audio tape or anything like that, right? You just always did digital. Well, yeah, because um, when I was in music school, um, you know, the digital was just, just kind of happening. The, like a, the the first music school, I mean, we had literally that kind of an ampex that was like way taller than I was and mm -hmm. the big two inch tape and, it, and the patch bay, you know, with all the, like where you really plugged in the oscillators and uh, <laughs> it was really wild. I mean, I would love to see something like that. I mean, I know you can buy these things these days, but yeah, that was uh, my first tinkling around with kind of things like that. Um, and 
I remember in the once I got to the school in Cleveland, our our audio. I kind of did a minor in audio engineering, but almost uh, as far as tech, technology, almost none of that is relevant to when I came to do it at home. You know, th- this right. equipment wasn't there. You know, we would have to. Uh, splice the tape with a razor blade to make edits and I was horrible at that you know it's just kind of yeah yeah so so it's just like the relevance of of certain things uh the the only thing that remains is that you want to keep improving your ears and uh and if you can um uh you know just just keep in the service of your eye of your creative ideas you know I, yeah. I never want technology to be the end result of what i'm doing you know right well this is a good yeah. a good example of i listen i recently listened to a podcast uh from a guy named joe gilder he runs home studio corner here mm-hmm. in uh, franklin tennessee we went to mtsu together and uh, was in a, in NSAI National Songwriting Association International. Um, uh-huh. You know, so we've known each other for like twenty years or so now, and uh, really cool guy. But anyway, his recent podcast, he talked about uh, musical sketchbooks, and he was talking about how he's he's gotten into drawing, but he's also using um, the same idea of like keeping a notebook or like a journal like almost uh-huh. keeping a musical journal to where you don't necessarily have to start and finish a song all in one sitting. You can just kind of sit down, mm-hmm. you know, especially when our, in a world of home studio, you know, setups where you just always have the mic set mm-hmm. up. you got the interface right there. You just turn it on, press record and, you know, just like you said, you can, you can almost be in like improvised mode. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. kind of get some some sketches down musically, and then you can always come back to it like six months, a year later. Mm-hmm. Now that you have all these ideas, you can yeah kind of yeah. pull from the different ideas and make an album out of that. You know, do you find yourself mm-hmm. doing stuff like that ever? Well, i I do find that um, I like to sit with a piece and see what happens over time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'm just really critical in the moment, like, oh, you know, and, and, and I come back to it and I say, who wrote this? When did this happen? You know, and, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of times they're, they're un- unfinished or, or there's just more than I can uh, have time to, to complete. But I, I do like to, yeah, I would call it like keep these seeds of ideas for for the projects I do that are like multi-tracked. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. You can, you can revisit. And, uh, as far as keeping those ideas and those, um, uh, those moments together, uh, for solo guitar stuff, I constantly, you know, just grab my phone and run a little video, um, hope that I remember to show myself where the capo was, where the tune, <laughs> what the tuning was. Mm-hmm. I've really had uh, quite a mess with some of that. And uh, that's one of my, my things I've been trying to work on. And while we're kind of in this lockdown COVID is, is writing the scores out for, for a lot of the music, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. 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 I, I find myself these days, I do so much YouTube stuff that, mm-hmm. I'm always in like video mode, <laughs> but oh, me, but yeah. me as a musician, I really don't get to write a whole lot 
um, like I used to, like I say used to, like this was like 10, 15 years ago. Um, I still have a tune that I probably wrote probably 15 or more years ago that I still haven't fully recorded yet. Like I want to get a, a violin player on it and maybe a cello, which I have players like I can call on to do this. It's just mm-hmm. like, all right, Nathan, you got to just schedule it and just make it happen. Otherwise it's not going to happen. But I do have a desire to put out more music, uh, especially with like distro kids, CD baby. They just make it so easy <laughs> to just, just yeah. release, you know, release as many songs as you want within a year. And, you know, it's just out there, you know, you don't have to do a record yeah. label. You don't have to do all that kind of stuff. It's just like, all right, you can literally write a song and release it the same day and have it be up on Spotify in like a few days. Yeah. Which is crazy. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that is what's happening. I mean, that's, you do see that, you know, but then you kind of miss that window where, uh, where it can be important to, to, you know, look at it like from over time at different angles, you know, keep coming back. Like, is this exactly how you want it? But then you kind of go into that, that murky area of perfectionism too. Mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. that's, that's why it's been like hard to release sometimes, but you have to recognize that it's a process, but you still, you still want to always make sure what you put out there is like something that needs to be heard, not just can be heard. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to just put yeah. out anything. It's like, Oh, I recorded yeah. a little ditty in five minutes and it's the greatest yeah. thing ever. And I'm just going to release it. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's not probably not gonna be the best, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the the you are encouraged to do that though, you know, because of like the Spotify editorial playlists and mm-hmm. you know getting in working the way they want you to keep constantly, you know, like uh, like uh, the shelf life and and the thing about the kind of music you know that you could call you know new age instrumental ambient it doesn't really have a shelf life you know which is a good thing for us but um so how do you let's let's talk about this this how do you approach releasing a song or an album like how do you know when you're ready to release something well it's definitely been a different um sense of ready every time i do it you know because it's the first couple I release, because it's like, oh, this is nice. Oh, I like this. I like this. Did I know what I was doing? Not really. <laughs> Did I think Bandcamp was great? Yeah, because, you know, you just get it up there. And if you change your mind on something, you could and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, once I had it out on, I did the thing, the first two on CD Baby. And I also put them, uh, did the their whole disc makers thing. So I thought I need the CD to, you know bring to the yoga studios when I play there or to the gigs when I play them. And, uh, you know, over time, I was like, I don't want, you know, people don't, most of people don't know what these CDs even are anymore. Oh, yeah. um, so that, you know, so those, those parameters changed. My music expectations changed from album to album. The direction of it changes with each album. Um, so I think long story short is each one is just a just a snapshot of where you're at and the decisions you made at that time and being kind of uh, 
isolated a bit as a soloist here and being your own producer and all these things. Um, it seems cool because everybody's like, oh, DIY musician and stuff. But I've come to be a bit wiser about how important it is to have other ears, other influence and, you know, other uh, other information, really, you know. Uh, even if it just means sitting down and listening to a track with someone else physically in the space with you, you hear it differently, you know. So. Oh, yeah. I've had that yeah. exact experience before. Um, and this is, this is almost to my own shame. Cause I was, it's not, I guess you could call it egotistical. I mean, I think most musicians are just a little bit egotistical. It's like, you know, they want to be able to do it all themselves. Right. That, and that was mm-hmm. me for the longest time. Mm-hmm. If you go back and listen to, you know, some of my work I did, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I was playing an original band called feedback revival and you can, you know, it's, it, all the music is out there on Spotify and YouTube and mm-hmm. iTunes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, and I just, I had to record it myself. I had to mix it myself <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily the best result because of that. Mm-hmm. Cause it's because of my mm-hmm. experience level and, you know, so if you're out there, you know, listening on the interwebs to this interview either now or, uh, you know, anytime in the future and mm-hmm. you feel like you have to do it all yourself. It's like, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and maybe you, you would say this as well, Michelle It's like, mm-hmm. if you're not experienced or it's taking you months to finish a mix, cause you're just not ever happy with it. Well, maybe you're just not very good at mixing and you, and you need to have somebody <laughs> right, else yeah. do it. Right. Or, yeah. or, yeah. Just uh, like you said, having another ear for production is like, well, what if, you know, you did this right here, Michelle, like mm-hmm. m- maybe it would mm-hmm. be, you know, a lot better. You could finish it, mm-hmm. you know, in a more timely manner because you're not always second guessing yourself and doing all that. stuff. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, going back and listening to those albums I-, I recorded and mixed, I mean, they turned out good but they definitely could have been a lot better. Um, but like you said, it, it was almost like a snapshot in time. It's like, and now if I go back and listen to those songs again, they're really not that bad. I mean, they, they have a vibe to them, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we recorded right, the right. drums in the yeah. garage, like literally in the garage uh-huh. and stuck a microphone <laughs> up in the stairwell to get that, you know, really yeah. uh, splatty ambient kind of sound. And it was just, you know, it has a vibe to it, but is right. it like, you know, a million dollar sound that was done at like Capitol records? No, it's not even, yeah. even close, but yeah, I, I feel it, like it's I am. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. 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 I feel like I am where I am today because I did go through those, those times, like just being unsure and not really knowing how to mix, not really knowing mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like how many microphones should I put on the amplifier? Yeah. Let's put five mics yeah. on the amp. It's like, no, you just need one, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, just get yeah. one mic, get but a good is, position you know, and just uh, play the part, you know? Uh-huh. No, that, that is, that is good advice. And that is something to be considered, but you're also right. Like you go back and maybe things weren't technically 
the the best, but there's also always an energy present or, a, mm-hmm. as you say, like the vibe. And you capture something right there. And, right. and people also respond and feel and, and know that, that that exists too, you know. So, but yeah, I do hound myself uh, uh, about the, the technical sometimes. And I think the thing... The, the reason I I was so much a DIY is just, you know, the, the money, <laughs> you know. Right. I just didn't have anything to invest in what I did beyond what I would make, you know, and whatever you make, you put back in your music. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot to, you know, flash around um, with stuff. So that was, that's what really drove most of doing all, you know, being the marketer, being the producer, being the record, the engineer at home and, writing this stuff. I mean, the writing was always the easiest part. <laughs> but I just also approached the, um, like the mixing. I think that was my, that's been my hardest thing is because it's so trial and error for me. And then, you know, what you're mixing down with, you know, is it your speakers? Is it your room? Is it your headphones? Then you go listen in the car. And it always seemed like <laughs> the most random thing in the world. Yeah. How do I use this EQ? You know, you kind of start chasing so your own I'm tail always, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the different setups you've had over the years. I mean, uh, you were telling me before you have an Apogee Duet, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Um, I I don't even remember what preceded that because this is um, this one has been so good and steady. It's just that duet, and since I'm a um, solo soloist, I really don't need more than whether it's you know stereo microphones or or micing other uh, acoustic instruments here or, or even a direct in. Um, it's that's been the simple setup really. You know, only in the past year did I actually get uh, let's see the a nice complete uh, native instruments keyboard. You know, an eighty eight key mm-hmm. with uh, oh yeah, that's beautiful because I've had the the software the. Um, complete for a few years and a couple other libraries um that are they're just really beautiful to work with you know you can really as much as i can get lost just sitting you know in in an, in the back porch with a, my guitar and nothing else i can get lost in these sounds that you can you know that you can create with with all this uh um keyboard <laughs> you know so yeah. right yeah. now remind yeah. me the complete package i mean that has strings and like horns and like yeah sound but it also has and- tons of like massive is one of the um uh you know synths in there okay. app synth is one i mean just incredible beautiful sounds with all kinds of um manip- manipulation you can do with the sound you know you don't want it just a canned sound right but sometimes you're tempted because some of them are so perfect uh, right before that i even had um you probably know um what's the isotope mostly for like ozone and stuff but Mm -hmm. i originally got this like beautiful um virtual instrument called iris that they they came out with um i think that that had really does have really neat sounds and it was one of the early ones where you could just drag your own sample in and have it like uh, manipulated by the parameters you set up in its in its like um, engine, um, and so that's another one that I liked a lot. And then of course like Spitfire, I would every time they had the um, you know they run a little charity thing where you can go into Spitfire Labs, 
mm-hmm. and get this stuff um, like for five bucks or something. So I have a small little collection of that stuff um, as well. No, that's yeah. fine. And I, then, yeah, and then I work in Logic, and that has a lot of beautiful stuff just in it. You know? It really does. I mean, Logic yeah. is kind of a complete package because you can not only record and do all the editing and whatever, but it does have all mm-hmm. the virtual instruments already built in to mm-hmm. the program, which is really cool. And I think that's why a lot of people like start off with like GarageBand because it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. really kind of idiot proof almost (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you want to say that and then you know all the drum loops that it has built in i mean yeah i mean garage band and logic pretty much have the same sounds uh logic is just yeah they have yeah they have stepped up but i i always found like i could not especially on the the phone version of of garage band it just drives me crazy because it is so simple it's hard for me you know yeah so i don't have i have a maybe a couple pieces on my album margala hills uh one of my most streamed one called fading faces which is just like these uh guitar loops um that was garage band oh, and cool. it has more streams than, than most of my pieces yeah um yeah yeah but but I haven't used it for, you know, once I got logic, I, I didn't look back, you know? Oh yeah. I well, it's it just, it's yeah. just a matter of, yeah, it's simple to use, you know, using GarageBand, but it's mm-hmm. limiting as far as like the editing goes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're working on a computer, I mean, the editing is really the main reason why you use a computer to record because it's so easy to copy and paste and splice the audio Mm -hmm. and stretch the Mm -hmm. audio if you need to and just Mm -hmm. manipulate it in any way you want Mm -hmm. um all all with like total recall you know you can you can do all this stuff and then come back to it even like a year later and just pick right up and yeah start messing with it some more so right um that's why I like. What kind of uh, what kind of microphones do you use, Michelle? I got for um, right before I did the album um, short stories, which is just acoustic guitar and some nylon string, but just just solo guitar stuff, a couple layered. I got some SE eights. Um, if you're familiar with that, I got a, a stereo pair of mics. Because I thought, oh, you know, I saw somebody's picture where they had like the stereo bar and pointed mm-hmm. on the guitar. Then I found out, you know, that, that almost never works for a good sound to do it like that. So I actually don't use the stereo bar, but I use those mics and point, you know, point one right about the um, where the around the 12th fret or so to where the guitar is meeting uh, at the neck there. And then the other one in a good spot for at the um, body of the guitar, kind of to my right side. And uh, so they definitely have to be on different mic stands, you know, and kind of zero in on that sound. Um, Right. But there was a variety of, I mean, when you listen to my, uh, like the mostly guitar ones, um, Margala Hills, Sage, and Short Stories, uh, and Guitar Sojourner. Guitar Sojourner was actually probably, I released it in t- 2019, but it was actually a, a lot that was recorded um, like in 2013 or 14 with mm-hmm. one microphone, you know. And, oh, cool. and I, when I listen back, I said, oh, this guy has a retro vibe, a retro sound. It's because I didn't even have a stereo recording for it, you know. Right. <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it came out kind of funny, you know, interesting. But I don't have any set or definite um mic placement or setup 
um, it's only for that song. And the next song might be set up in a different way, you know? Right. How do you yeah. feel about like stereo setups? I mean, do you feel like, are you using it for the width? Like, do you hard pan the different channels or do you just use them to kind of help fill in the sounds between the bass and the treble and the sound hole and the neck? I mean, how do you approach the stereo versus mono? Well, I the stereo approach now for me after uh, a wonderful conversation with um, Tom Eaton, who mm-hmm. is going to be uh, uh, the mastering engineer for the album I'm going to do with Mindstream. Um, he just, you know, for the first time, he told me pan one right, pan one left. I didn't know that, you know, in the recording. And it was like, wow, that's really... So now I can get a better in my own studio sound just you know just for making my demos um in that way and i and i do like that sound you know right. but prior to that i didn't i didn't know how that was used you know i would i would record both pretty much um mid in the middle of the channel and then i would put some you know a little bit of delay a little bit of stereo imaging on you know send them out to buses like that okay um, so yeah yeah, yeah. And in fact, before I got the stereo pair, most the most were on the uh, the Rode NT one thousand mic, which I think is a nice mic. Yeah, really nice for for the money, you know. Just and uh, any vocals that I've done, I'll still use that one. Um, or the, the on on Seventh Wave, I did some recordings with um with a slotted tongue drum, which okay. is, you know. Hard to capture or know how to capture, but I basically had that road out there, you know, suspended above it and trying to play. And yeah, so a lot to learn. Yeah, I've definitely bought and sold a lot of mics over the years. Uh-huh. And I just, I've just settled on road microphones. Like right now I'm talking into uh, NT2A, uh-huh. um, which is just a bait. I had the NT2000, which is really cool. Um uh-huh. But I think the NT2A is is just as good, but it just has the switches instead of the uh, variable knobs on it. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the uh, recording room on the opposite side of the glass here, I have a new, I just got a new uh, two mic from Rode. It's the NTK, which I've Mm -hmm. recorded Lance Allen on that mic uh, for a few Mm -hmm. songs now. And I mean, it sounds rich and sounds really good. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not, still not, quite sure about the tube aspect of it is like do i really hear the difference i don't know mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. spend the money i guess you just your ears kind of they they hear what they want to hear because you spend they the want to hear it, right? <laughs> it's like, i think it sounds really good i just spent how much yeah. on that <laughs> oh, yeah. that's the great thing about it though is like road microphones are not very expensive at all and, and they sound great and they're good. Yeah. Really that's, good. you know, I mean, that's kind of the principle of my studio, you know, yeah. stuff that sounds good, but it's not, not about any kind of flash. And speaking you know. of stereo mics, I have the Rode NT4, which is uh-huh. a dual capsule it already has the XY pattern already set, you know, so really? you don't have to use it. Uh-huh. You don't have to use a stereo bar or anything. Uh-huh. And this is also battery powered as well. So if you're out in the field and you want to record I don't know, whatever out, out wherever Uh you're at, you don't have to have 48 volt phantom power to use it. You can just put a battery, you got a battery, right? Yeah. And flip the switch and now you're good. So, uh, so yeah, Yeah. pretty much all road mics for 
everything I do here. I have some some drum mics for the rare occasion that I actually record acoustic drums nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, large diaphragm, condenser mics, uh, especially like acoustic guitar. I'll just put it like maybe 12th fret, 14th fret area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. okay yeah be like all right don't mess up i'm pressing record <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you know but but there's a certain yeah. point where you just kind of have to get the technical aspect out of the way like you have to know mm-hmm. just enough to make you to make sure you know it's going to sound good but at that point mm-hmm. it just comes really it comes down to performance and like you said the vibe and the feel and mm-hmm. just capturing that moment Mm-hmm. And just letting the you know letting the guitar speak for itself. So, uh, what microphone are you talking to right now? One I never use. It's a Bluebird. You know the blue microphones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure what to use it for, but I had it on a like a really tiny that kind of microphone stand for like a drum like that you would put it on the floor you know that little stand but it Mm -hmm. works fine for my desk (laughs) so i just pulled that out and plugged it in (laughs) yeah so does that have the ability to do multi uh like multiple patterns or is it just cardioid it's just cardioid yeah it's not a fancy i think it was probably maybe 200 something yeah 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 well, yeah. price at that point really doesn't matter. I mean, any condenser you yeah. get nowadays are going to be pretty good quality. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. One mm-hmm. suggestion: I mean, you might you might have fun playing around with this once you do your stereo setup on your like mm-hmm. on the close mic guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe take that blue mic and just maybe face it away from you, like maybe toward a wall or something, and mm-hmm. use that mic later in the production to add your reverb and all that stuff so you get the natural like ambience of the room maybe and not so mm. much of the close mm-hmm. mics it might, it might be a cool addition so you mean to the sound just use one close and then use this as a far no i'm saying remember, like i only have you, two inputs oh yeah well, okay if you only have yeah uh yeah. if you only have <laughs> okay. two inputs then yeah yeah use you one close and one far and then just see yeah and then pan those hard left and right, you know, because that yeah. way you got yeah. you got close on the left and far on the right, and mm-hmm. blend them together, and you, know, you just experiment and see yeah. what kind of sounds yeah. you can come up with. Mm-hmm. There's really no right or wrong way of doing it. Yeah, I know that's, and uh, I guess it's kind of fun too not to have a regular way of doing it all the time because you're always going to come up with something interesting. Hopefully, you know. Right. But. You know, speaking also to another comment about these home studios and and the way it makes things uh, different when you come to work on a recording, I'm usually working on a couple records at a time. You know, one might be ambient with electric guitar, one might be just this acoustic guitar. That's how it's been been going and doing them at home, but it's also over a stretch of time. Right. It could be, you know, it could be a few months like, oh, I need to go in and record this or I need to, you know, when I get time, I'm going to do that. And um, so when this opportunity to um, uh, sign with this new label in, in January, the Mindstream label. Yeah. Um, and uh, part of our thing was to take uh, my new, I have like a 20, 26 new solo pieces ready for this album. And uh, Mindstream 
what was in the cards for May before pre-COVID thing was uh, flying me out to um, Imaginary Road Studios where Will Ackerman would produce uh, the album for me. And um, uh, Tom Eaton would be the uh, mastering engineer. And I was like, this was like a dream come true. Just be out there for a week. I've never like done an album that and everything gets played and recorded in, you know, over four days and then boom, you know, you got the record. Uh, that was going to be such a uh, interesting experience, you know, and, and with top notch work like that, right. With these, with these, um, artists like that. Um, so that's on hold, unfortunately, but yeah. it's, it'll happen. It's just, it's like everybody else's dream right now is a little bit, uh, a little bit deferred so we'll talk about that, uh yeah. maybe talk mm-hmm. about that process a little bit of how how in this situation would a label uh you know help you and also how did that do they approach you and be like hey michelle we like your work let's work together we're going to take half your yeah. profits i mean how yeah. i mean what does that look like for you <laughs> well what so up until 2016 mm-hmm. like 2012 to 2016 i was you know just uh self-releasing uh made my own publishing was my kind of my uh name music as metaphor and that 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 was my umbrella for all the like little businessy side of things that i would do and then i was looking i think in around other avenues for, you know, how to get my music out to a larger audience, right? We're always doing that. So um, there was a company or a label that I was seeking for promo, but then after they heard my material, um, they um, asked me, did I want to be on this label? It was uh, called Heart Dance Records and mostly new age stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did. I, I decided to um, go with that label, and um, that kind of brought me into this whole um, kind of circle of people that I didn't know existed, like all these people who do this uh, new age and ambient and, you know, um, like a really, uh, really big network of, of musicians to get to know and to maybe collaborate with and to uh, learn from and uh, I did three albums with Heart Dance, um, and I mostly just did New Age. I did Scattering Stars, um, Seventh Wave, and then while I was uh, working on Silver Chord, which was the last one I released uh, with them, I was also wanting to do my own projects because I'm really prolific. <laughs> so I started releasing at the same time some stuff on my own, some stuff with them. Uh, 2019, I was no longer, you know, after Silver Chord, I was not releasing anything with Heart Dance. I, I wasn't with that label anymore. And a, a friend that I had met in this uh, bigger network of, of um, artists announced that he was now head of uh, A&R for Real Music with uh, a new label launch called Mindstream. Mm-hmm. And when I congratulated him, he said we should talk. And that led to some really, really positive things for me. And, That's uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and then uh, I sent the demo of what I'd been working on, and and that's what 
that's what we planned on me along with some more material because I think that was about 24 minutes and then from like uh, December till till January I wrote a, like an additional uh, 20 24 minutes I think of music uh, and this all it's really kind of focusing on just solo guitar um, yeah and it's it's really really special music so I'm just so eager to get that, you know, realized and, and meet, uh, and be in Will Ackerman's studio and, and work with Tom Eaton and, you know, and then having like Michael Whalen with, with, with Mindstream handling this. I mean, it's, it's all just, uh, going to be fantastic. Well, that's <laughs> it that's really cool. So what are they yeah, going to, yeah. once all the music is done and released, like, what are they going to do for you in the back end? I think um, a label like this um, has has a really gr- big reach. Uh, indies, you know, it's great being indie, but there definitely there are there are barriers that mm-hmm. you know that you're just not going to get past. Um, and and having kind of like a, a label that is very conscientious, very much about highest quality music out there um i just can't think that that's not going to be a great thing oh yeah that's that's excellent yeah yeah i think it comes back to whether whether you want to call it a label or not i mean if you're independent out there or you're just a guy in your or girl in your Uh in your home studio i think what i'm hearing from you is is great having a team of people around your music that can help with marketing that can help with all, you know, you know like all the producing, aspects. Yeah. Producing and mastering. Yeah. All yeah I think that that's where I need to be now because, um, uh, you know, the, all the stuff before brought me to this point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm ready for that, you know, and I really want to, you know, capture present in the best, best, uh, light I can, what I can do you know right yeah and it, and it kind of frees you up to kind of play to your strengths right and not to say and, and I, what i've heard i've heard your music and it sounds good i mean you do well with the mixing and all that stuff but if you just have to go in and play and then let someone else take care of all the other stuff you know it, it really comes down to delegation you can think of it like a like a workforce, uh, like your boss or your team leader or something. It's like who is going to be there to delegate out the different uh, things that need to be done, so that way you're more efficient, you know. And th- that's really what it comes down to for me. It's like if you're just playing, but you don't have to worry about all the other stuff. How much more free are you going to be to create? your next batch of songs while they're, you know, off doing their thing with the current batch of songs. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, you, you can't imagine like I, how excited I would be for that moment where I'm really just brought in to play my instrument. You know? <laughs> I just, I just get like silly over thinking about it because yeah. it's just never been something, uh, something I've been, uh, uh, allowed to do, you know? And so, uh, it's just, yeah, it's just, 
I mean, I wish it happened to me. We all wish something would have happened already, but uh, oh yeah, I just can't wait for it to happen. You know, because I think it. I think just that. You know, to be able just to totally have every you know fiber of me invested in you know that sound I'm creating at that moment. I think is going to be super super special. You know, that's great. I, I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, but I think that's why Lance just comes to me. One, he lives literally like five minutes from the house. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like we live in the same town. Like he just lives like just right down the road. So he's like, hey, Uh I need to record a part for this collaboration or I need to do this or that. And he could, I mean, he has Reaper. He has GarageBand. He has Mm -hmm. whatever to record. He could record himself. But I think he likes just coming in, sitting down putting on the headphones mm-hmm. and just playing and I'm over here just pushing all the buttons and, you know, mm-hmm. making everything happen. Yeah. And so it makes it easier for him not to worry about the production side of things and just like, ah, yeah. go in and play, let someone else take care of the rest and mm-hmm. just, you know, work on the album art and release it and mm-hmm. he's done, you know? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I can't remember. I mean, there's a lot of people in the guitar community uh, especially on, online, like on Facebook and all that stuff. So talk about your experience and maybe the camaraderie uh, that we find in some of these Facebook groups. Because I know there's Acoustic Guitar Cafe, Cafe. right, which is what Lance right. started. And there's a bunch yeah. of other groups. What, what other groups are you a part of Do you kind of get inspiration? Being Yeah, you know, well, being I just... To, to mention about Acoustic Guitar Cafe, because we were talking about Lance and... Uh, I met Lance at um, briefly at uh, one of the NAM shows, summer NAM shows, mm-hmm. because uh, um, a common uh, musician friend of ours, Ed Basil, um, who's down there with uh, with you, and he might be in Franklin actually, but he runs this kind of thing called the River of Calm. You might have mm-hmm. heard Lance talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've played I've played live down there for that. This. Uh, uh, during the COVID times, I played one of the <laughs> um, virtual concerts for them. Uh, but anyways, he introduced me to, to Lance. He said, hey, you're both, you know, my River of Calm artist. So so anyways, uh, we, we did meet down there. And then um, uh, we, we friended on Facebook. And then I saw this uh, playlist uh, called Acoustic Guitar Cafe. And I went through the thing at the time. And I just put, you know... Just kind of a, I didn't mean to be like a, a snarky about it or anything, but I put a comment in there. I like it be a little bit nice to see some, you know, um, X chromosome in there. You've got all this, you know, all this <laughs> male players totally. And yeah. he was, he was like, you know, oh yeah, send me a track kind of thing. And then suddenly I got on uh, this, the Acoustic Guitar Cafe and uh, that became a Facebook group as well. And mm-hmm. It was great. Like it was my that was my point of meeting a lot of guitarists, a whole lot of guitars, and the guitarists beyond, or the groups beyond that. Like a uh, finger style hub has been a, a nice one that uh, um, I don't know if you know Tommy Luz uh, from the UK. Yeah, I'm not uh, familiar kind of, with him. Yeah, he plays lots of instruments. Really, really a sweet person and. Uh, Organized uh, also over the this um, pandemic time, organized a 
fingerstyle hub concert with his friend John. Uh, don't exactly have John's last name, but um, then there's uh, there's guitar players of Facebook. There's um, guitars around the world, um, and then of course for me, I, I always put my videos in the Stonebridge Furch guitar ones and. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ferk Guitar, official owners. And now, um, since uh, I guess, I think in November, I got a harp guitar um, from uh, with Timberline. Yeah. And there's various really cool. groups for that. Yeah, that's a cool instrument. So I haven't spent as much time as I'd like with it. You know, I like I'd really like to uh, just have more time with it. You know, I finally got a strap that I, that I can play more comfortably. That was kind of one of the things it's, it's heavy. So I can't, they are heavy and I can't hold them for, for forever. Like, you know, you can forget you have a guitar on, but you can't forget that you're holding a harp guitar. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So, but that's been, you know, the camaraderie and then the, you know, we make these guitar, um, Spotify playlists, uh, and share each other's music a lot, and it's it's really it's been good. I I wish um, uh, there were there were more opportunities for some face to face. I know there was a festival here in um, I think Nashville, Indiana. They had a fingerstyle thing, and Lance came up and played. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And um, Daryl um, um, Sean, I believe, uh, who does a really nice. Um, new release guitar uh new guitar releases spotify thing he came out to play for it and uh but i didn't go down to it you know i was just sitting here in my studio i forget what i was working on and i was thinking you know maybe i should go down and play this so i'm sure it's not gonna happen you know right <laughs> just like just like i won't be meeting anyone at summer nam either you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah maybe maybe next year i hope so i yeah, know me too yeah. Me too. Well, what is your uh, what is your process for getting on playlists on Spotify? Other than just being in the groups and having the people like, oh, hey, you just got a new release. I put it on my playlist and your playlist and whatever else. It's like, do you reach out to anybody else, or do you? How do you find different you know, playlists to yeah, be on? Yeah, I know it's a, that's a big part of um, people's time. I gather from from you know some of the. Um, Spotify groups that that I'm in, um, and people are really good about uh, um, you know thinking of each other and putting them on you know um, the playlists we or or is putting something out and saying hey I'm creating this uh, looking for music of this vibe, but um, I'm not real active with that. I I find it like um, that it can be I don't know I. I'd just rather spend my time making it and mm. hope it gets heard. <laughs> and I'm grateful for, you know, the people who listen to the playlists I make. I'm grateful for the people who put my music on playlists. Um, probably um, one of the top uh, um, streaming ones for me, a playlist. It's like, I don't even know the person. I can't even find them to say, thanks for putting this track on there. Because right. I don't know, you know, who they are. So it's not always like uh, your buddy system or 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 somebody you know. Um, I've had one, and it was last May. I had one Spotify editorial thing, and you know, you're grateful for that. Um, but as I reminded a guitar player friend of mine who just got on that uh, 
maybe two weeks ago, it's the um, like weekly new releases one. And you mm-hmm. get, you know, really high about it because you think, oh, this is great. But I reminded him there's a, you know, you will come off that playlist <laughs> right. and you will see everything deflate again. So it's a little bit like, um, you know, it's counterproductive to to follow that too much for my personality. Right, you know, right. If if I t- if I t- if I open the Spotify for artists and and I see number going up, uh, and then I see it start dropping, you know, I just that's not um, my comfort level. I don't think we really have that much control over it. I'm not going to pay for ads so that I can get you know a little bit of uh, streaming money that will never even pay for those ads. Yeah, that's, <laughs> just, that's yeah. the hard part. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people are great who who have that kind of mind uh, and want to spend that time on it, you know, making Google spreadsheets and figuring out this and understanding how to do the ads. But, you know, I'd rather just pour the time I have back into directly into just, you know, upping my uh, skills with, yeah. with, with the music. Directly. So yeah. it may be almost better for you and you may do this, but like maybe you're just on your Instagram or your Facebook and you just put uh-huh. a link to your, like your, your profile, like on Spotify or something. Yeah. And people will go on there. Sometimes. Yeah. They'll go yeah. on there and they'll see the top five songs. They'll listen to those mm-hmm. and they'll go check out some of their albums and, yeah, mm-hmm. so as long as you just point them to a general direction of like, hey, this is where my stuff is, go check it out. Mm-hmm. That's probably mm-hmm. the best, more efficient way of doing it versus seeking out like these playlist curators yeah. and yeah. hounding them yeah. all day. Like, oh, please do, put me on your yeah. playlist. You know, it's like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm not doing much guitar playing at this point because I'm just hounding people all day, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. But I mean, it, I mean, uh, that that worked for Lance. I mean, he oh, yeah. says he worked his butt off doing that. Right. But, um, you know, there's other things I want to <laughs> work my butt off doing and I do, you know? So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's at the end of the day, uh, you can't let, um, those numbers distort anything about your artistry really. Right. Popularity yeah. maybe, but not artistry, you know? Right. It's definitely a fleeting uh, cause sometimes, mm-hmm. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, especially with the YouTube stuff that I do. I, I pretty much took a break the month of May. I did a few live streams just to say I put some content out there, but I really didn't do a whole lot of premeditated you know, video making just because I needed a break. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah. Well, we all do. Man, yeah. it was, it's, it's rough. And I... And I, I Constantly, like every month, I average around 250 or so subscribers to my YouTube channel, which is great. That's great, Um, yeah. But the income from that, you know, getting Uh 50,000 views, I average around 100 bucks a month. Uh So it's Uh not like I I can't quit my day job anytime soon (laughs) Mm -hmm. just doing YouTube. Yeah, Um, right, right. But I think, you know, with music or video creation or anything artistic, you kind of just have to have a goal and, or maybe set some, set some guidelines for yourself. It's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try and create during this season and then release that Uh and then create some more, then release that instead of just constantly, you know, pushing and pushing and pushing and, 
you know, burning, burning yourself out almost, you know? Yeah. It's, you gotta, you gotta find a balance. You have to know that your balance is different from someone else's. Your, Mm -hmm. your whole, everything is different from someone else's and, but learn what you can from other people, you know? And like you said early on, you know, don't be shy of seeking out uh, help and team members because I've waited this many years before I've done any, you know, even done that. Um, and I think it's only going to be uh, really a beneficial thing. Oh, know, yeah. Once, I'm excited for you. Happening. I think it's going to be really cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I will definitely love to share that with you when that, when that happens. You know? And where is that, yeah. uh, where is that label in the studio at? Where are they located? Um, uh, L.A., I believe, is Mindstream's base. Okay. Uh, Michael is based in um, New York City. Oh, wow. And then uh, Will's studio is in Vermont. Oh, cool. Never been yeah. up to that part of the country, but one day it will be, it will happen. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a really pretty area. Yeah. Well, Different than where we are. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Is Indianapolis weather kind of like Nashville weather or. It's a or little, what? little less hot and maybe a little more and definitely a little more cold. Yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. you're well, it's you're more north, north but probably not as much humidity yeah. as what Tennessee gets, yeah. right? <laughs> right, just not as humid. But we'll get more. I mean, we get these storms. We do get tornadoes, stuff like that. You know, we've had some uh, issues like that. But oh yeah. yeah, but it's 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 decent. It's okay. I guess we're not. I mean, that's speaking of things uh, that have changed over the pandemic. The Indy 500 first time in forever practically is did not happen Mm -hmm. i think they're going to do it i think they're doing it july 4th oh cool yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well michelle i think we've had a great discussion about all things music and the creation side and the technical side and Mm -hmm. and all that and i really appreciate your time and uh willingness to come on and chat with me yeah yeah i was i'm glad we were able to do this and uh we did have a quick hello at Nam too. I forgot to mention. That's right. Yeah, uh, that was the uh, that was just last summer, I believe. It was. Yeah, it was this past summer. Yeah, about a year ago. Yeah. So it's always great to actually, you know, I mean, virtual things are wonderful, but when you actually meet someone face to face, it just it's a different thing. So I'm glad we had that chance, however brief it was. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, you mm-hmm. have an excellent rest of your night, Michelle, and we will talk again very soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. All right.